Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanReg Sports. It's another Gold Cup edition. My name is Sebastian Noren. With me is Elliot Niblock. No Polly today. He was a late uh, dropout. So, late scratch from the squad. Yeah, so boo on him. But it's okay. We'll manage. Um, we'll get a very brief take from Polly. It's uh, in the in tweet form. Um, he sent sent us a text, so we'll read that a little bit later on. But yeah, of course, focus is going to be on the Gold Cup. We are heading into the quarterfinals here now, starting tomorrow with uh, Costa Rica taking on Panama, and then the United States going up against El Salvador. So, um, how did we get here? Well, if we, uh, we we'll start with the other game. Costa Rica, they won Group A ahead of uh, Canada. Uh, two wins, one draw, five goals, four, one goal against. Although, with Campbell getting injured. Yeah, that's... I'm, I'm, that, I, I mean, there... First of all, we should preface it by saying that Costa Rica is not a one-man team, right? Like, it's not a death sentence, but it certainly takes away one of their most dynamic options going forward, probably their single most dynamic option going forward. And it, you know, it doesn't, doesn't count them out, but it certainly means that they're no longer one of the bigger fish, you know? I mean, I think that you would have to say that at this point, Costa Rica, you know, they, they would be the third, probably the third most likely team to win this tournament behind yes. Mexico and the United States. Yeah. Um, followed probably pretty closely by Canada, but yeah, I mean, Canada is still, I feel like they still have a level to go or another yeah. level they need to reach as a team. I've been very impressed with Alfonso Davis, uh, three goals in the group stage for him. Yeah. He's, year old. He's, yeah, I was going to say he's not even 17 yet. Yeah, so that that's really good. Uh, Panama, they ended in second place in Group B. They were on the same amount of points as the U.S., seven points, but uh, and same goal differential, plus four, but the U.S. had scored seven goals. So therefore, Panama slotted into that second spot there. Uh, this will be the early game. Kickoff is at 6 p.m., Eastern Time at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. It's another back-to-back situation uh, with the U.S. playing on the same the same pitch right after. Or not right after, but <laughs> like an hour after that game ends, I guess. Uh, then on Thursday, we'll have Jamaica taking on Canada and Mexico going up against Honduras. And those games are at the University of Phoenix Stadium in Glendale, home of the Arizona Cardinals. A uh, very nice stadium. It's going to be hot as hell, though. It's going to be hot, but I still think it's going to be manageable. Um, and, I mean, it's it's going to be good, at least for that Mexico game. Because when that stadium is packed, it's really, really good. When it's not packed, it like if you put you know maybe if you put 30,000 people in there so it's about half full it looks deserted oh yeah so hopefully a lot of people will still come for that Jamaica Canada uh, matchup I know there's a lot of snowbirds 
in Arizona from Canada. So hopefully they will all. Yeah, but the snowbirds, the snowbirds are in Canada. That's how they. That, that's how their migration works. Yeah, that's true. I guess they're home now. <laughs> they're home. Yeah, they're... yeah, you're right. You're totally right. Yeah, they're home. No snow on the ground Oof. in Alberta. Yeah, okay. Well, then, yeah, oh. that first game might be tough then. I mean, and the forecast is a high of 102, so mm. it's not 110 as it can get to, but it's not exactly chilly either. Nope. So, uh, yeah. But it's it's a good venue. Going back though to the U.S. against El Salvador, um, of course, much of our focus will be on that one. And well, should we start with the the result previous game against Nicaragua? Because we haven't spoken since the final group stage match. Yes. So a three nothing win. Goals from Joe Corona, Kalen Rowe, and Matt Miazga. So uh, some some new people on the scoring score sheet there. So that's good. Two uh, save penalties, which was less than great. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's always something, right? Yeah, and I mean Dwyer's penalty was mediocre. Corona's penalty was just awful. Yeah. It was it was just really bad. Um, so that's that puts a bit of a damper on it. But I mean, I you know we. We have been both independently, privately via text message and publicly on this show calling for Matt Miazga's presence in this team. And we finally got it. And they kept a clean sheet. And he scored a goal. Yes. So. So although it once was against a you know weak opponent, I still think that he should keep his place in the squad or in the team yeah, in the I'm, starting eleven. I mean, I think two of yeah, Corona lost a little bit of his luster, but I think that the two brightest performers for the U.S. Uh, against Nicaragua last Saturday were Miazga, of course, whom we've just mentioned, um, and also Kellen Kellen Rowe. You know, another name on the score sheet. I mean, he really impressed me in the first group stage match as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that. He's definitely one of the MLS prospects to come out of this group stage looking pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Alejandro Bedoya had a good game against Nicaragua. I mean, he was involved in a lot of the goals moving forward. Uh, he kind of did something that we don't see enough of, I think, in the United States national team outside of Christian Pulisic, which is taking the ball in the middle of the field and driving forward you know, with confidence and pace into the final third. Uh, and then you know whether like, what if whether he tries to use skill to beat a man or get rid of the ball and you know pick out a pass. Regardless, it's just not enough players tend to do that, and it's something that I think we've seen come in and out of Michael Bradley's game. You know, call it a function of confidence or what have you. I don't know, but when Bradley is at his best, he's doing that, and as, you know, as he showed us uh, a few weeks ago, can score goals doing that. But that's something that I was happy with Bedoya. I mean, it's still, you know, I, don't, I still think that this was a U.S. men's national team that wasn't firing on all cylinders, but they're, you know, it's not the full-strength squad. And if the first two performances were extremely frustrating despite winning, this was only mildly frustrating and a more robust win than either the previous two performances. Yeah. So with the weird... Uh, 
you know, sort of uh, ruling here in the Gold Cup, you can substitute some players after the group stage, yeah. uh, which I think is extremely odd. So I mean, the whole tournament's kind of weird. Yeah. So um, <laughs> two of the players that you mentioned that played well against Nicaragua, Kellen Rove and Alejandro Bedoya, they're both out of the squad now, together with Dom Dwyer, uh, Christian Roldan, Sean Johnson, and Brad Guzan. And in comes Tim Howard, Jesse Gonzalez, Michael Bradley, Darlington Nagby, Clint Dempsey, and Josie Altador. And this is... I, 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 okay, I have some strong opinions about this. Seb, why don't, why don't you give me your two cents first? Well, I think that they haven't been up to snuff so far. So, therefore, they're bringing in some of the bigger names. Uh, this is clearly a move to be sure that they're going to be, you know, one of the favorites still to win the tournament. But I think it's unfair to the players actually that competed in the group stage. Um, I know that some of these were like even before the tournament started, we knew about, uh, I think, half of these. Um, but it just for me, it's just weird. Yeah, it's almost. I mean, I, I mean it's one thing when it's because I, you know, we see this in hockey for the World Championship because it goes on at the same time as the NHL playoffs. So if oh, if yeah. a, if a player is knocked out with his club during the playoffs and the World Championship is still going, I think you can name players up until semifinals or the final. I don't know. It's something weird like that too, but it's. Usually it's like a player or two that arrives. If that. Yeah. Uh, but here I mean, here it's a totally different thing. You could have just the, named your squad and play with the squad you name. Yeah. And it so it it frustrates me from a lot a lot of different perspectives. On the one hand, I mean I think that Does mean we're not gonna learn anything new about these players? No, no, we're not. I mean it's and again, I'm I'm slightly of two minds about it, but despite my ambivalence, I still feel strongly ambivalent if that's not a contradiction in terms. And that is to say, on the one hand, I understand Arena's approach to this tournament kind of in two separate stages, right? And viewing the group stage as basically a youth tournament based on the quality of the opposition to, you know, bleed young players, give them playing time. But then how you, can, how you can instill confidence in your squad players by saying, okay, you had a fantastic two matches in the two games that you started, Kellen Rowe. Now I'm shipping you back and you're no longer a part of the national team. Yeah. Like, what? I mean, it, it just doesn't incentivize quality play. And the case of Alejandro Bedoya is a little bit different, both insofar as he has less experience overall in the U.S. men's national team than Kellen Rowe on the one hand, and also he wanted to be released in order to uh, go and spend more time with his wife, who is currently pregnant. So, I mean, that's that's a little bit of a different ballgame. Yeah. But the yeah, Kellen Rowe, to me, just puts up in lights what's frustrating about it. And even though Dom Dwyer missed that penalty well didn't miss it he had it on frame but it was saved right he nonetheless had a great group stage on the whole right and it just if i guess that i'm it just the whole thing feels schizophrenic to me which is frustrating because one of the qualms that not only i but many people had with jürgen klinsman us was that it felt schizophrenic and you never know who was going to be where when and so like those who have called for 
changing of the guard and management for the U.S. men's national team in order to get more stability in the squad, we certainly haven't seen that. And so to me, it feels like it feels like Arena wants to have his cake and eat it too, right? He wants to use this as a youth tournament and give young players playing time and get them experience and kind of see where they're at firsthand against international competition. But then on the other hand, he also, I mean, he's cognizant of the fact that any international manager is under a lot of pressure. Technically, this is a competitive tournament, yeah. right? And so it's going to look great on his resume if, in fact, the U.S. are able to lift the gold cup, despite it being, as Pauly calls it, the silver cup this yes. year. Yeah, that's true. And we'll read uh, Pauly's little text here. So the U.S. men's national team, with their declining ratings, calling in the A-team to win a tournament filled with CONCACAF B teams. Sad. There we go. <laughs> Without any accent of anyone whom that tweet might be potentially satirizing included in there. Sad. <laughs> that was pretty good, actually. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I have the best squad. The, the best. The best. <laughs> we're going to build the tallest squad. Yes. And we're going to make Mexico pay for it. Yep. We're going to win the World Cup. Uh, I don't think that that's among his potential priorities but say nope uh, i don't yeah think but we should, talk, we should talk about the the squad moving forward yes. uh, against i mean i mean on paper yes this makes the squad look a lot better quality wise uh maybe oh, maybe kelly costa will play better once he's back next to bradley because uh, he hasn't been impressive so far so well, I honestly, I, I, I still hold Mexico number one, then the U.S. number two, and then Costa Rica number three. Yeah, I'm. I would have to agree with that. Um, I think the U.S. closes that gap a little bit, and especially with the loss of Joel Campbell, the gap between two and three is increased with these arrivals to the U.S. squad. Um, I mean, you were one of the things that you said earlier, Seb, was that. We're not going to learn anything from these new additions to the squad. Uh, and on the whole, I, you know, with Howard, Dempsey, and Bradley, I agree with that. But I actually think a player uh, who I'm interested to see what he does, although disappointed because I won't see him play here in Portland for the Timbers on Wednesday, is Darlington Nagby. Because I think that, for me, Kellen Rowe impressed at least as much, if not more, than Nagby ever has at the international level. Um, you know, playing from that wide position. And I, I mean, I think th this to me is if, and I, I would hope that Bruce Arena, based on my concern that I voiced previously about, you know, if you want to inspire players to do well, you have to show them that quality performances are, have a return in playing time, right? So I would hope that Bruce Arena had, will have taken Kellen Rowe aside and said, look, this was the plan all along. You know, it doesn't speak to the quality of performances you put in on the pitch. Mm -hmm. You've done your work. You've done a great job. Now we're going to get some other guys in and see how they perform. So, I mean, if that is the case, and I think it should be the case, then I think there's a lot of pressure on Darlington Nagby coming into these games. And, you know, we'll see exactly how Arena picks the squad, right? I mean, he may not see much playing time at all. No. But if I'm, you know, if I'm Nagby... And I've been watching the performances of the U.S. You've, he's he's got to realize that, you know, Kellen Rowe played at least as well, if not better, than Nagby ever has for the Stars and Stripes. Mm. 
I mean, El Salvador, I, they haven't impressed me at all. So this is a game they, the U.S. should win. Uh, we did, we sort of didn't go into prediction uh, territory with Costa Rica and Panama, but yeah, I would assume that Costa Rica pulls through even without Campbell against Panama, who, you know, haven't been uh, <laughs> lighting the world on fire going forward. I know they have six goals in this uh, group stage, but... You know, three of them came against Martinique. Um, and I feel like they had, you saw it against the U.S., they have a tendency to drop back extremely deep when they're playing a side of equal or better quality than themselves. Uh, so, um, yeah, Costa Rica, they, they're fairly sure they're going to win that one. Um uh, El Salvador, though, they were one of these uh, two third-place teams that went through. So they finished third in Group C behind Mexico and Jamaica. They had um, a 3-1 loss to Mexico to open up the tournament. Then they beat Curaçao 2-0 in the second game, and then they played 1-1 against Jamaica. So, Elliot, what type of chance do you give El Salvador in the game against the U.S.? I mean, I'm I'm kind of inclined to make a similar response to that as I did to the U.S. coming into the Martinique game, saying, right, the U.S. are justifiably and correctly an overwhelming favorite in this match, but they haven't proven to me that I shouldn't still be at least a little wary, perhaps not properly scared, but at minimum wary of you know, their ability to play down to the opposition, concede silly goals, and give away something from a game that they should have in hand easily. Yeah, they... they I'm going to check the odds here real quick. So, for the... I don't know how you do do it, but we do decimals in Europe, as far as betting goes. So, 1.27 times your money. Yeah, okay. And El Salvador Salvador is 10 times your money. (laughs) 10 to 1, that's uh, pretty long. That shows you. The U.S. is a bigger favorite against El Salvador than Mexico is against Honduras. That that seems wrong. I mean, yeah, that seems wrong to me. Yeah. So you got... uh, I can actually go through all these. This This is pretty fun. So Costa Rica, Panama... Uh, this is for 90 minutes. So 234 for Costa Rica, 3.1 for a draw, and then 3.4 for Panama. The U.S., like I said, 127, El Salvador, 10, and then a draw is 6.45. Uh, Jamaica, Canada, Canada, slight favorite here. They're 2.6 times your money. Jamaica is three times your money, and so would a draw after 90 minutes be also three times your money. Mexico, Honduras, Mexico 1.56, a draw 4.1, and Honduras 6.3. Yeah, I mean, well, anything less than a win in 90 minutes from the U.S. and Mexico would be hugely shocking, um, but I... I think that you know, it's not really realistic to expect anything besides that. I mean, especially considering where Mexico are playing, right? They're going to get, I imagine they'll have a lot of support coming into 
uh, Glendale, Arizona. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It will be 90% Mexico fans. Yeah. Oh yeah. Certainly. Yeah. So Honduras, uh, go up against Mexico. They were the best. So, okay. So this is the dumb thing. They were the best third place team, which I guess it's, Although, if you're El Salvador, do you rather play the U.S. or do you rather, rather play Mexico? It's sort of a... <laughs> yeah. Going, it's pest or cholera. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's just strange. Honduras, they were awarded that 3 nothing win over French Guiana after they played Florent Malouda after he was deemed ineligible. And as they were handed a 3 nothing win, that helped them become the best third-place team. Yeah, I mean, I, it's again, it's a matchup that you have to look at on paper and say the U.S. should just have this in the bag. But yeah, Mexico also in the bag. Jamaica, sorry, Jamaica, Canada. Though I feel like that could be a pretty open game. Yeah, I should say so. And actually, you know, I was thinking it was kind of in the back of my mind as we've been chatting. I actually, despite my earlier comment, I mean, I think that Jamaica might. You know, it's hard not to see Jamaica as, in fact, actually, I'd be, what did you say? Sorry, the, the number, the line on that game? Yes, 2.6 for Canada, three times your money on Jamaica. That's, that, that might be worth it to put a bet down on Jamaica for that upset, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, they got some good players. I feel, you know, Darren Maddox uh, performed well. Um, Came in, scored a nice goal off the bench in the first game, then started the uh, two following games, scored on a penalty against El Salvador. Um, so I think that's the the most even quarterfinal that we'll see. Uh, Costa Rica-Panama, I think Costa Rica is going to have a lot of the ball in that one. Same with the mm-hmm. U.S. and the Mexico games. So... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. So if you have to look into your crystal ball here, Elliot, and give me the two teams that meet up in the final in Santa Clara at Levi Stadium, a phenomenal stadium, <laughs> but the press box, the glass is too thick. So if you're in the press <laughs> box, you can't hear anything that goes out on site pretty much. It's pretty much sunproof. Which is very weird. That that is that's a little a little strange. Yes. So they have to channel in crowd noise via via speakers. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, you you have to say on paper U.S. Mexico, right? I mean, I think that the the only qualifier to that would be no. It's not even a single qualifier. It's a series. If a, the U.S. hadn't strengthened its squad, despite the potential qualms we might have about that that we've already discussed. And B, if Costa Rica had not lost Joel Campbell, I mean, I think that if the U.S. were to kind of slink past El Salvador and Costa Rica would put in a strong performance against Panama, despite the home field advantage, quote-unquote, of mm-hmm. the entire tournament – it would be hard to see the Costa Rica U S match as anything more than a very slight favorite for the U S. Um, but 
you know, with those two qualifiers in place, then U.S. I mean, it's got to be U.S. Mexico, right? Like that's the that's everybody's pick for the final at this point, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. I think so too. I mean, no matter if they go up against Jamaica again or if they take on Canada, I feel like Mexico they they basically should have won that game against Jamaica. They were unlucky not to win that game, and again, it's going to be a very pro Mexico crowd as the semifinals is played at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would go U.S. Mexico as well. But boy, this is a fast, this is a fast tournament. I didn't realize the final would be already just a week from tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, group stage. But they stage, at least the, try to wait till the weekend. <laughs> yeah, the group stage sort of prolonged a little bit. That first week, they had a couple of days off between games and then sort of picked up the pace a little. Yeah, but it's strange that they had pretty much the same, the same rest time for the knockout rounds, mm-hmm. right? That just seems a little odd to me. Yeah. So right now, your top scorer in the tournament, Alfonso Davis, together with Kevin Parsemain. So Davis has the chance here to become the the lone top scorer. Uh, Darren Matt, Maddox and Nelson Bonilla uh, chasing him with two goals each. Uh, also Jordan Morris and Gabriel Torres. And then we got a bunch of players on one goal, so I'm not going to read all those. Um, but hey, one of them is Matt Miazga. Yeah. So we'll see. How, how would you go uh, with the lineup here if you're Bruce Arena? I mean, that's that's a good question. I thank you. I, I mean, <laughs> I just thought I got to throw those compliments in here on yep. occasion, man. Yep. Um, I, I mean, I think you got to you don't bring Howard into the squad for the knockout rounds to start him on the bench, right? No, so I think start. he, he starts in goal. Um, I think that you're probably going to be starting, you know, are you going to try to start both Altidore and Dempsey? Maybe Dempsey starts on the bench and Altidore starts up front. I mean, I think probably Nagby will start as well, but I'm a little less certain. I mean, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see pretty much all of the players who were brought into the squad in the starting 11. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think that you can line up with all of them but I honestly, the strange thing is that although I think that maybe Dempsey is the most likely to begin on the bench, either Dempsey or Nagby. Um, yeah, I think but, it sort of depends on what formation he wants to go with here. Cause I mean, I could see a four, four, one, one where you play. I mean, this is who I would play. I would play Eric Lehigh on, on the right back, then Meazga and probably Gonzalez in the middle. Uh, Villafania on the left. Uh, right-hand side, Sardis or Nagby. I think those sort of interchangeable on the wings there. And then uh, Bradley and Kellen Acosta through the middle. Uh, Dempsey as the number 10 guy. And then Althor up front. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I... I am not impressed with Gassi's artists at all. And in fact, I would have rather have seen Roe stay on than Yeah, but he, he's, a, he's a Bruiserina player. 
Yeah, I know he is, but I'm 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 still not impressed with him. <laughs> no, I mean we and we've talked about him before. He he should have left. He should have left the MLS a long time ago. I feel like he's coming up. Uh, he's yeah, he's turning twenty six in September. So it's uh, he's sort of past his well, not past his prime, but he's you know he should be in his prime. I don't know if you want to be in your prime and be in the MLS. Yeah, I mean, or if you are, then you have to be dominant. You, you know, you're well. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, this. We, we can't have any real illusions about what's happening here, right? I mean, and, and I the one thing I think is really illustrative about where we are right now, uh, and stop me if I've said this before, but is where, you know, while the U.S. with their decidedly B squad is taking on, as Pauly said, essentially other CONCACAF B squads with some first-team quality sprinkled in, mm-hmm. and we're struggling mightily, even though we stumbled our way into the top of our group, then like take that compared to Germany's B squad, essentially beating some of the best teams in the world with pretty strong squads in the Confederations cup, you know, and it just, to me, the the contrast is so stark that uh, a full strength Chile can come up against Germany B squad. And that is a reasonable matchup. And the USB squad almost gets terribly embarrassed by Martinique. You know, that contrast to me speaks to the level of, yeah, you know what? If you're dominating an MLS in your prime, then you probably have a plot on the US national team. But you're, you know, you're so far out of the conversation of being world class that to even mention the Boulogne d'Or in the same breath as your name would be met with eye rolls and laughs. Yeah. Well, I, and I mean, this is a sort of a bigger topic, but I, I do feel like if you scour all the American players that are available for the national team, I think you could put together a pretty good side. I, I'm just flabbergasted that Cameron Carter Vickers isn't capped yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, players that have dual nationality, you got to lock those puppies yeah. down. Even yeah. if even if your projecting is that, you know, he might be guy number twenty twenty one. If I, you know, if we pick a squad, still lock him down. Yeah, it's that that is surprising to me, uh, and that's a good point. I mean, why, why, why is he not part of that quote unquote, you know, youth B team setup that you at least have for the group stage? Yeah. Uh, you know, I for Serena I'm, must know better than I do. But it's well. We'll see. I'm, you know, I I was I was not dismayed to see the Klinsman change. I was happy to see the positive results that are that have happened after Arena's appointment. But it's still it's still an appointment that I am wary of because it feels like you know two steps back and then hoping for more steps forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing, too, that I alluded to last episode that, you know, the arena appointment, I think a lot of people were sort of afraid to take in another foreigner. And then you started looking like, 
okay, well, who's the best suited American coach to take over this national team? We, we're not really caring so much about going forward with the plan that Klinsman had as far as developing the youth. It's basically who can take us to the World Cup right now and make sure that we don't suck. Well, yeah, and that's also frustrating to me because it's the appointment of Bruce Arena is in many ways and has frequently been described as, quote, steadying the ship after a rocky start to World Cup qualification, yep. you know, after a frustrating end to the Gold Cup in the previous summer. But steadying the ship also means that your goal is the status quo and not slipping from the status quo. And that's just that that's not an aggressive appointment, right? Like, you know, hoping to continue the trend of qualifying for the World Cup is not the launch pad for improved challenging at a world-class level that Klinsman promised us or, you know, we as supporters had hoped for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll have to see how it goes. I, I still think that there's a lot of pretty good players that are in their early 20s. Hopefully they can, you know, keep continuing to develop and um, that they get an honest chance too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll see. And I mean, Cameron Carter Vickers isn't even twenty yet, so hopefully he will yet have his time. But um, I don't know. I mean, that, and that's the other thing. And I we've discussed this also. And just because I think I'm a more passionate supporter within the MLS, that I probably have more time for the league as a whole. Um, but. I nonetheless am also wary of the arena appointment for that MLS bias reason, despite yeah. the fact that I think Kellen Rowe has done very well in the games that he's played. Uh, does that, you know, do we, do we really need to be like, does Gyasi's artists really have a place in this team ahead of a Cameron Carter figures, for example? And I, I, again, I will, I will own the fact that Bruce arena is, has far more experience than I do. Maybe he he knows more about these players, but to me, the inclusion of Gaussi's and he just really does not impress me at any point in this tournament. To be quite honest, um, it's it, it's frustrating. Uh, I mean, I, honestly, from like in, in you said that this is a bigger topic, Seb, so we shouldn't spend too much more time on it. But in the grander scheme of the U.S. national team, like. It would be really nice if we won the Gold Cup. And I think the biggest thing is if we were to beat Mexico in the final, which is what we will probably have to do in order to win this tournament, then that would be a particularly sweet vindication from the standpoint of U.S. soccer. But in the grander scheme of things, you know, without World Cup qualification, certainly not locked down yet, right? with what it seems to be a complacency that just qualifying for the world cup at this point, you know, that's enough. It is frustrating. Um, and it's frustrating because if any, you know, any scenario at this point, like the equivalent of the world cup three years ago would be ideal that we managed to qualify from a tough group and then make a good showing in the knockout rounds mm-hmm. in the World Cup. I mean, at, at this point, I think that that's all we can realistically 
expect. We can certainly hope for more. Of course, we will hope for more. But, you know, that's frustrating. And the idea that for a variety of reasons, you know, whether that's the manager's philosophy is not getting through to the development system or if it's just that the manager's philosophy wasn't working and now we have another philosophical kind of tumult in terms of how the locker room is put together to, you know, uh, to live out in order to find that supposed plateau on which we can have stability and continuously improve quality. I mean, it's just the... I I am especially frustrated with where the U.S. is in the grander scheme of things. But let's you know let's, let's focus in and say on the bright side we have a competitive match tomorrow and we are favorited to win that match and I look forward to it and I sure hope we win. Yeah. No, and I mean the, the thing is too that you got a a whole setup here now with just American coaches except for your chief scout who's uh, Thomas Rungen. I mean, he's Dutch American. Um, he was born in in Amsterdam, but you know, spent his whole playing career in the U.S. He played for the Los Angeles Aztecs in the late seventies. Um, side note, though. Um, so yeah. But then, you you know, you got Bruce Arena. Uh, Dave Sarakin is the associated head coach. Uh, assistant, you got Pat Noonan. Uh, his son, Kenny Arena. Richie Williams. Then uh, Matt Reese is the goalkeeping coach. And then conditioning coach, Daniel Guzman. So uh, I'm just afraid that the whole Klinsman thing is, you know, even after Arena leaves, are they going to be willing to go back and actually look for just the best manager or does it have to be the best American manager? Yeah. So, and I mean, it it would surprise me if Arena is, is still there after the World Cup, honestly. I think he might very well leave, leave it after that. Go, yeah. Go I, back, I, take I, a cushy MLS gig again. Well, or, I mean, or potentially even retire entirely but you know we'll see um i i mean i i agree with you entirely i think that after 65 i didn't know he was that old yeah i mean after the world cup in russia i don't expect bruce arena to be man managing the u.s men's national team i'm not sure he'll be managing anywhere with the caveat that you know what speaking of being content with the status quo if u.s soccer is that and they say, well, you know, once again, a scrappy performance in the group stage and a frustrating crash out in the tournament afterwards. Like, we're fine with that. And Bruce Arena decides, you know, I'll just see out my career with one more contract for the next four years. Maybe, but I, I still, I, I still, if I had to choose one or the other, my money would be on. Bruce Arena is not the manager for the United States following Russia 2018. Yeah. Okay, well, we're switching gears here now and moving over to the Premier League as we got a couple of uh, small notes to uh, bring up for you guys. Uh, Joe Hart has joined West Ham on a season-long loan. He uh, spent last season on loan at Torino in Serie A and now City 
Sending him out alone again. This time he won't have to travel as far, though. He's just going to London. Uh, I mean, we all know that for some odd reason, Joe Hart is the starting goalkeeper for the England national team. Um, and I think this will be a good sort of measuring stick too to sort of see where he's really at. Because now they're sort of all on level fields, if you know what I mean. Fraser Forster, uh, who else do you want to put in in the conversation there? For the for the starting the, job, yeah. Jack Butland. Yeah, yeah, I think you can say Jack Butland is in that conversation, um, but I, I still don't know that. I think Fraser Forster is the only one who can really give Joe Hart to run for his money in terms of truly challenging for a consistent number one. Yeah. No, but it's interesting because I feel like they're all more on a level playing field now because before you had Hart playing for a very good club in Manchester City where he didn't have to do too much work. So he he will be tested week in, week out playing for West Ham. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the 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 what's what's kind of funny is that the defense of like the Manchester City's defense seemed to be worse after he was you know, pulled from the sticks by Pep Guardiola than what he enjoyed when he was there previously. Yeah, but, yeah, know, and by, the thing by, was... by all accounts he'll he'll be tested more at West Ham. Yeah, and I think part of it was just Players getting used to Guardiola's system and all that stuff, of course. Um, and just the fact that a lot of times where, you know, Hart was playing for City, they just had a lot of the ball. They, they didn't have to defend that much. Yeah. And then he did, a, you know, a couple of nice TV saves and all of a sudden, you know, he's the England starter for way too long. So it will be interesting. I really hope that, you know, the... They pay attention to this. Gareth Southgate needs to go to a lot of these games to watch all three of them. I do think that Fraser Forster has the best chance of pushing Hart out of the way. But Jack Butlin is also a very, very good goalkeeper that I personally hold above Joe Hart. Really? Yes. Okay. I mean... I feel, I, I feel like it says something where, you know, you're... You're a starting goal, or you were a starting goalkeeper for Manchester City, and you're England's number one, and all you can get is a move on loan to Torino? Yeah, but, but at the same mid, time... It's a know, mid-table we, team in Italy. Okay, but but here's here's the thing, is that on the one hand... We talk on the show about how form seems, even within a single squad, not to translate from one tournament to the next, right? You could be like Leicester City, for example, you know, having really a strong showing in the Champions League and then being pretty abysmal in the Premier League. But at the same time, you know, by the same token, I think that it's even more pronounced that a player who you know, shows himself to be of quality at the international level 
is very, very different than talking about their, you know, the mechanics of their, their club football, right? And maybe this is, maybe it's just that he's like a mid-table at Torino. I don't know, but I... I think that no, but I mean, look at Ro- I, Roma. They brought in Wojtek Chesney on loan. Yeah, and I mean that they finished four points behind Juventus. Do I mean it's is Chesney that much better than Joe Hart? I I think they're roughly a comparable quality. So, I mean, I, I, and then you I, mean, I have at, a lot of time for Wojciech. Yeah. I wish he hadn't just gone to Juventus. <laughs> and then you just look at some of the other, you know, teams here between Roma and Torino, and you're like, yeah, he should have been able to get a better movie, even if it was within Italy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I agree with you, but I, I still, I just, I think that maybe the other keepers for England smell blood in the water and maybe that's fair, but I still think that that job is, uh, is hearts to lose at this point. Yeah. I mean, and it's tough too. Cause I mean, he needed a move here now, so he gets to play so he can, you know, keep his, keep his spot in the team too. So, uh, it will be interesting though. I do think that they're going to pick those three, those three goalkeepers are going to go to the world cup. Yeah. Unless one of them get gets injured, gets injured. And then we'll see Jordan Pickford as the third guy. Just sit on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that we'll I don't know. We'll see. Pickford Pickford's future is interesting to me. Oh yeah. Yeah. We should move on. Okay, so Antonio Conte signs new two year deal with Chelsea. Uh the deal is the same as far as length go as his previous deal keeping him at Stanford Bridge until the summer of 2019, but he's getting more money. More yeah. money. I mean, there's been a lot of rumblings that his family, you know, they were still in Italy and stuff like that. And maybe he certainly has. Maybe he was, uh, you know, a little bit homesick, but hey, just throw money at the problem. Now you can fly him out. So it will be... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's the same. I think Chelsea, they're going to be in a good spot of defending their title this coming season. Conte has shown once again that he's a very good manager. And uh, we'll see how far it goes. With that, we'll say goodbye. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot is Keats was have, better. Have a little more cash. Yes, have a little more cash. Elliot is Keats was better, and Paul is P. Costello, WFAN. And then give FanRex Sports a follow as well. Until next time, have a good one.